just want to remind you, as Dustin mentioned earlier, that next week we begin our camp meeting, our August Acala Mesa, and uh, Kathy McMillan will be leading us off with uh, our theme this year, which is missions. And um, we are a church known for our mission, and we'll be hearing from several speakers, mostly our members, all of them from Loma Linda, are associated with Loma Linda in one way or another. Uh, just a programming note, um, it says August 15 is uh, Richard Hart and Mar August 22 is Mark Carr. Those two dates are actually switched, so Mark will be here on the 15th and, and Dick Hart will be with us on the 22nd. Um, Dr. Bob also wanted me, me to let you know that next week we'll have the Johnson Family Quartet from the Lake Arrowhead Community Church uh, leading us in, in music. And uh, in two weeks, we'll have our friend Rudy Michelli with us um, as part of our August Acalamesa series. You don't want to miss that. He was wearing a chemical mask, the kind that you see in the movies when, when they're handling toxic materials. And he had this, this mask around his neck. And he only said a few words. You've got five minutes to leave your house. Now, I'm still wiping the sleep from my eyes because it's pretty early in the morning, and he just walks away. All right. Trying to figure out what just happened. And then I realized that the day before I had called the exterminators, they were coming out anyway to do their annual inspection, and I just asked them, you know, can you just spray for ants while you're out here? I didn't get a call back, so I didn't think anything of it. He goes back to his truck and he pulls out this hose and he proceeds to just blast the exterior of our house. Two days later, I'm in my kitchen and I see ants. This is backwards. Before he sprayed, I had no ants. And and now, after he sprayed, we have ants in our kitchen. What do you do? I'm making more work for myself because I don't have enough to do, apparently. And so I call the company back and I tell them, hey, you know what, we've got ants. Didn't have them before, we have them now, what can you do? I say, okay, we'll come back. So they come back out and they respray both inside and outside. And and the next morning, I go into the kitchen, and I look up, and along the edge of the wall, there's this black line all the way around my kitchen. Now I'm really kicking myself. So I call them back, and I say, hey, you know what? You've been out here twice. I still have ants. And the lady on the other end says, I'm really sorry. There's nothing else that we can do. We've sprayed twice. We recommend that you get some Raid and, and you spray. <laughs> Gee, thanks. I could have done that. So I have the can of Raid in my hand and I, the instructions, I read the instructions. And they say, shake well. So I shake it well and I'm about to spray when something just clicks in my head I, and I start watching these ants. Have you ever watched ants? Yeah? They're fascinating. I notice that it's not one line. 
But there are actually two lines, one coming from their house into mine and one leaving from my house into theirs. And as they're passing each other, I don't know where the source of food is or whatever they're looking for is, but as they're passing each other, their tentacles touch. They're saying something back and forth to each other, and then they keep going. Their work is now my play. My work of getting rid of these ants is my play. If I didn't have an appointment at church, I think I could have stayed there for hours just watching these ants. Grace is walking by on our way out of work and, and out to work, and she's probably thinking, this is the guy that's going to father my children? <laughs> but, you know, whatever, too late. So <laughs> she's going out the door, and she says, oh, you're just like a child, and she walks out. It's a little glimpse of what God might be doing as he looks down on us, as he smiles and watches us go about our duties. There are a few things more pure than, than watching children at play. Being involved in children's ministries now for a year, I, it's fascinating because I can hear them playing, having a great time, and then as soon as they hear or see an adult, shh, it's quiet. Which causes me to wonder what we've taught our children. What is it about life that causes our children to think that play is not appropriate around adults? Where has our awe and our delight gone when we play? I was raised with an assumption, like I'm sure many of you have been raised, that children play and adults work. You've been taught that, or you've raised without assumption? Yeah? A few people up here? It's because we have this assumption that when we read or when we hear on the news that, that children have been recruited or, or forced into the front lines of, of battle, or children have been taken into the backroom sweatshops, that it angers us. Because children are supposed to play. And we've been taught that adults are supposed to work. But what if play and work are not opposites, but rather play and seriousness are? Because serious times tend to be intense and somber, and playful times tend to be more relaxed. You know, it's been said that one man's junk is another man's treasure, one man's work is another's play. Just this week I was with, with Alice and, and a group of ladies across the parking lot as they were working on their prayer quilts. They were beautiful, weren't they? they? They are in the process of making several of them for various families that are in need of prayer. And they're just in there having a great time, just chatting and sharing stories and laughing and with each minute that passes that I'm in that room, my shoulders become tense. And I'm looking for the nearest exit because I know that if I stare there long enough, they're going to put me at one of those sewing machines. 
and what's play for them is going to be definitely work for me, and the product of that is not going to be pretty. I was on Wednesday morning across the, parking, across the street at our community garden work bee with a group of about 15 volunteers. They were prepping the, the entrance area, making the fence line clean, and, and that first trip there, beautiful. They're out there working in the morning sun sweating, doing manual labor, but they all have a smile on their face. And I'm assuming they have a cheerful heart because they're all happy. It's hard work being out there. But done with a cheerful heart and a smile on their face. This morning we conclude our summer series on, on play, on a playful God. The playfulness of God in a schizophrenic society that really doesn't understand what it thinks about work, let alone play. Playfulness in a society where the Protestant work ethic is, is alive and strong on one hand. And on the other hand, we have what Mike Rowe of, of the show Dirty Jobs, do you watch that show? Yeah. What he calls an all-out war on work. He was one of the speakers at a recent TED conference, and he shared, you know, we live in a society that's declared war on work, and this war is waged on multiple fronts. He says in Hollywood, we, we turn characters into heroes, and we turn them into punchlines. He says... If they're going to portray a plumber on TV, he's probably 300 pounds and can't seem to keep his pants up. But he also says that this war that we've waged on work as a society happens through Madison Avenue and our media. He says the message is simple. According to them, your life would be better if you could work a little less, if you didn't have to work so hard, if you could get home a little bit earlier, if you could retire a little bit faster, if you could punch out on the time clock a little bit sooner. This tension that, that we have with work and with play, we, we see in our children and we see in our spouses. Children and, and, and spouses, they don't want to be in part of a study group or a work group where there's a slacker in their midst. Yet they also don't want to be in a family where there's a workaholic that they have to miss. There were a couple of predictions that I found pretty interesting, and maybe you'll enjoy this. It's a prediction about work in America, which said by the year 2000, which is nine years ago now, American people are likely to have a four-day work week. Anybody have a four-day work week? All right, a few. All right. It goes on, keep your hands up. A week off every two months. Anybody have a week off every two months? Nobody, all right. 13 weeks of vacation a year. Anybody have 13 weeks of vacation a year? If you do, you and I are new best friends, but I don't see anybody. And then it says, most people will spend 40% of their time on vacation, 
and 20% of their time just relaxing. They need to go back and do their research. Pastor Dustin shared with us last week that that play is beneficial to our health. I don't think any of us need a, a research study to tell us that play is beneficial. And he also said that as Christians, we need to, to be like children again so that we can learn about God's creative wonder. But I'm supposed to preach this week. And how do you preach a sermon about a topic where the Bible seems to say very little about it? I've been doing a Bible study on Thursday mornings with, with some grade schoolers from MGA. And one of the things that we're learning, aside from the God's love and his sacrifice for us and, and how he redeems us, is we're learning that the Bible needs to be our own. Our relationship with God needs to be our own, and we have aids to do that. And, and I've been telling them that if you don't know what the Bible says about a topic, look at your reference materials and, and, and look at your concordance in the back of the Bible. So I took my... Um, ordination Bible that the conference gave me, and I looked in the back of my Bible at, at play, and there's two entries, one for played and the other for play, and there's four verses, because I practice what I preach. So it says this, in uh, 1 Samuel 16, it says, David will take his harp and play. In Luke 7.32, it says, we played the flute for you. In uh, 1 Corinthians um, 14, 7, it says, uh, anyone know what tune is being played? And then, this is a good one. Isaiah eleven eight. it says, the infant will play near the hole of a snake. I'm saving that one for a sermon on parenting. Um, <laughs> There's not really one passage that teaches us about play in the Bible. So what do we do as a group of people that say we follow Jesus when we want to appear to our community that we are a happy people because we are, aren't we? We have God in our hearts and that's where true joy and happiness comes from. We have considerable evidence that Jesus was a playful being when he was on earth. We, we, we see that in his parables and his stories. He didn't teach by just listing off commandments or, or teaching dogmas, but he taught by example. And he had a playful spirit as he told his stories and he shared his parables. And rarely did he ever explain his points, rather leaving that up to the listener. We see this playfulness in Jesus. My search continued this week, so I decided I would consult with the wisest person to ever live. It's a good place. So Solomon was, was the person, and, and I decided I'd turn to one of his writings, and if you'll turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, that's where I want to spend the, the rest of my time this morning. This is a passage familiar to, to everybody. 
Ecclesiastes chapter 3, and I'm just going to go through the first eight verses really quickly. There's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the sun. Well, that about covers it. Play has got to be included in there. Time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, time to uproot, a time to kill, a time to heal, time to tear down and to build up, weep and laugh, mourn and dance, a time to scatter thrones, stones and gather them up, a time to embrace and a time to refrain, to search and to give up, to keep and to throw away. A time to mend, a time to or tear, a time to mend, a time to be silent, a time to speak, a time to love, a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. Then he goes on to say, what does the worker gain from his toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on man. He has made everything beautiful in his time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for men than to be happy and do good while they live that everyone may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all his toil. This is the gift of God. Solomon goes through a list of events that we experience from, from time to time throughout the course of our life. Not all of them are, are, are God-ordained, as we say, but these are events that we go through God with. Go through with God, I should say. And he concludes this section of writing with a few thoughts on work. Could it be that play or playfulness is not specifically listed as a teaching because it's supposed to be an innate characteristic that we all carry with us as we are beings in this world? Pastor Ken started our series a few weeks ago saying that the creation story is the story of God at play. And that in all of us was created this longing, this desire of creativity because we are all created in God's image. Adam's first act as a human was to name the animals and God's imprint on humanity was revealed when Adam acted creatively as he named all of the animals. Karl Barth, the Swiss theologian, says that when, we, when done before the sovereign God, all of our work is actually play. A divine play, if you will, Having a divine play outlook means that we weave into our playful spirit everything that we do. Whether it's our work, whether it's interacting with our families, interacting and going out into the world that we live in. Divine play can also be described as an eternal consciousness or an awareness in all that we do. 
In our culture, we're too often overextended, and we think of play as a break from our work to help us to go back and do it again. But what if we're supposed to have a playful outlook on life that's divine in all that we do? When we live with a divine outlook, we are in touch with that pure love, that childlikeness that trusts and accepts and affirms life because God created that capacity in us. It, are, it is our divine, playful business to do good. Everyone should have received your bulletin this morning, and in your bulletin you should have, you should have a little white insert it looks something like this. Do you have one? If you don't have one, there are some ushers in the back that will get one to you. Everybody needs one this morning. If you don't have a writing instrument, we have those available for you as well. If you'll just raise your hand if you need some, they'll come to you. Hey, so these people back here are not... Uh, I'm not going to call them out by name, but they know who they are. So, there's some up here that need some. If you don't have a white sheet, you can turn over your purple uh, insert and turn, flip that over. Anybody else need paper or bud? There's a few over here. Thank you. If you don't have a white one, just feel free to turn your purple one over. You just need a blank sheet of paper. All right. Everybody have a sheet of paper, a writing instrument? Okay. Please get back with your partner that you prayed with earlier. And this is what you're going to do. We need, for this to work, everybody has to participate. So if you get back with your partner from that you prayed with earlier, you have one minute to draw your partner. All right? This is a silent activity. So you have one minute. And is everybody good now? All right, here we go. It's the person you prayed with earlier. Or someone next to you. Just, all right, go. All right, about 30 seconds.
about 15 seconds. This is not a test. Five seconds. All right, pencils down. I've always wanted to say that. <laughs> Alfred, you say that a lot, don't you? <laughs> All right. Show your partner. Okay, now let me ask you a question. How many of you, show of hands, one of the first things you said was, I'm so sorry? <laughs> yeah? Yeah. I have a theory. I'm going to guess that if you said that, you're probably an adult. When you do this activity in a group room full of kids, the thought, I'm sorry, never crosses their mind. You have just participated in a creative act. You have just been part of a masterpiece. When God created us, all of his creation was a masterpiece, which means by definition, you are a piece of the master. So with that in mind, how is it that we go out and live our, the rest of our life? We are the special piece of the master in this world that God has commissioned to go out and with the same creative and passionate wonder he had when he created us to interact in the world that he's entrusted us with. So my prayer this morning as we close is that you will now go out and do likewise with the spirit of divine playfulness that is in all of you living work and working and playing with the divine, playful outlook.